Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherewith he saith, when he has descended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with wind of doctrine by the slate of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of its of itself in love. This I say therefore that and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding dark darkened being alternated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to the work of, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness wherefore putting away lying speaking I'm sorry speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another be ye angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. It's good to have the word and um, excited to be able to share with you from the word this morning. You know, many of you probably received the email yesterday about how we were going to be taking a hiatus in the book of Acts and looking at the book of Ephesians this week. If you've read the book of Ephesians lately, you know that it's loaded. And to try and attempt to, tr- to, to cover the depth of, of the book of Ephesians in one message, it's not going to happen. In some ways, I feel like we'll be skimming the surface here this morning. I, I appreciate the reading of the word in chapter 4. We're going to end in chapter 4. When it's all said and done here this morning. But sort of like a, and I know I've mentioned this before, but whenever, whenever the word is, is preached, kind of a solo message, if you will, and you're not working through a book of the Bible, I liken it to the man whose parachute dropped into a territory and you know, it's, it's this whole idea of where, where are we at here? So to begin preaching Ephesians 4, there would be a lot of assumptions that I would have to take for granted that you've already read chapters 1, 2, and 3. And perhaps that you've also read chapter 5 and 6. Because context is a big deal. We've talked about content context, right? Anytime we read the word, the content in and of itself is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful blessing, a wonderful treasure, and the Lord can do a great work through that content. But when we have God's word, and we see the context in which the content sits, that helps us see the big picture of what the Lord is saying. So this morning, in the time that we have, we're going to work through some of these passages in Ephesians. And we may be going elsewhere as time permits this morning. But you know, I was thinking of chapter 1. And I was reminded of a story that was told. Jerry Bridges told the story in his book, The Gospel for Real Life. It tells a story about a man who was a slave. His master died. His master left him an incredible inheritance. You got to remember something. This slave, all he was accustomed to was just kind of his normal fare, normal, humdrum, living on not a whole lot. But when his master died, his master gave him thousands of dollars. And what's interesting about the story is that the slave 
continued living as he'd always been living. You know, and I was thinking about that particular story. Thinking about the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Do you realize that we're not a far cry from that illustration? And that we have for for quite some time now, perhaps, been feeding on morsels when, when God has offered us unsearchable riches in Christ. That's Ephesians 1. He has given to us every spiritual blessing. Let's just read the word. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And you might be thinking, well, what are those blessings? What's that look like? But you see, when we look and see how Ephesians opens up, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You know, when Paul's writing a lot of his letters, have you noticed that he's writing them to churches? Philippians, in fact, even includes to all the saints with the bishops and deacons. He gets a little more specific. His letters, many of them, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, are intended for the church to hear. Do we read these letters, church, through that lens? Or do we see them perhaps only through the individual lens. And that seems to be part of the problem today, doesn't it? That we read it from an individual perspective. Part of the problem seems to be, too, that not only do we read it from an individual perspective, but we're quick to want to know, what does this mean for me? Instead of trying to understand, what does it say? What did it mean when he wrote it? building a bridge to then get some understanding and some application as to how that might apply, not only to me, but contextually to the church. That's important. That's very important. So, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's going to be something that we'll keep in mind here as we go. In what ways has he blessed us? Well, we have recorded for us a few ways. Let me just give you a few of these. First of all, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't know how that happened. But that's what the word says. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? For what purpose? That we should be holy and without blame. Paul 
Peter in his epistle says that we're to be holy as well because he's holy, right? He chose us for this very purpose, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Another blessing, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Another blessing tells us how we've been accepted in the beloved by his grace. Oh, he's going to talk a little bit more about this grace. This grace, this something you didn't deserve. This grace is God's blessing through Christ to people who deserve the curse. We didn't deserve this. He's blessed us in verse 7. We have redemption through his blood. This blood, which Ephesians 2.13 says, draws us near. We who once were far away have been brought near by this blood. That same verse 7 says our sins have been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven according to the riches of his grace. How often do you consider your sins being forgiven? That is a blessing. That's a joy to know that your sins are forgiven you through the blood of Jesus. What else? Verse 10 tells us that he's chosen to gather together in one all things in Christ. He's going to talk a little bit more about that as he goes. Things in heaven and earth. Verse 11 says we've obtained an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. Some of us perhaps are more concerned about an earthly inheritance. This speaks of something much greater than any earthly inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Did you get that? He works all things according to the purpose of him. Works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Should be to the praise of his glory. That's what we're to be about. To the praise of his glory. Another blessing he's given to us, the word of truth. The word of truth. Verse 13. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. That's how it happens. By hearing. Hearing the word of God. That's a blessing. And whom also having believed. Here's another one. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Praise the Lord for that. 
Here's another one. In the Holy Spirit, God has provided the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee, the earnest money, the down payment of our inheritance in the Holy Spirit. Keep reading verse 18, Paul's prayer. He prays that the saints would come to know the hope of his calling. He prays that the saints would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He prays that the saints would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Verse 20 says the power he worked in us is in accordance with the power God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and glorified him. That same power. Verse 21 says, then God placed all things under the feet. Verse 22, put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church. Right here in chapter one, we see the word church. To the church. Which is his body. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. What a great closure to Ephesians 1. We've got to remember that these, these numbers and these chapter headings it used to not be like that. In your Bibles now, it's easier to read because you have these numbers and you have these verses. It makes it a little more readable. There's some white space and your eyes can adjust to the reading. But you know, in the original, it just kept going. It just kept going. And what's interesting is that when you turn the corner and you see that chapter one ends with Christ and his church, the church is his body. And you enter into chapter two. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses in sins. The unsearchable riches of Christ are put on display in Ephesians chapter one. And they set the stage for where the spirit moves Paul in the next five chapters. The church is Christ's body. The fullness of him who fills all things in all. Well, let's take a look at the state of this church. What Paul does here, beginning in chapter 2, is he, he, he takes a, he pushes the rewind button. And he runs the video. Some of you have old home videos. And they're a joy to watch. And see some of those home videos. Sometimes, perhaps, you cringe, though, when you watch some of those old home videos. You cringe for a few different reasons. One, if, you know, if you're a young person and you're now you're a little older and you look back, you know, if, you, if you were anything like myself, I, I was wondering when I watched those home videos, Mom, why didn't you cut my hair? And my hair is like... And you start criticizing and picking at all these things that you used to do and 
the way that you looked and, and like, why did I do that? Some of us cringe when we see these old reels played back. Because it reminds us of who we once were. It reminds us perhaps of a time, of a period in our life that we went through. It was very difficult. Not a period of time that you would want to go through again. But hold on to that. Because I think when Paul goes into Ephesians chapter 2, especially verses 1, 2, and 3, he's running this video of the time when the church, the saints, were dead. These first three verses recount the time before God woke them up out of their slumber. And it brings to the forefront your life in the flesh, apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit in you, apart from what you now know as any church life. See, reading Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, on the heels of Ephesians 1, I believe it's a great exercise in humility. Chapter 1, you are essentially escorted into God's presence and you're shown the blessings, every spiritual blessing, in fact, in the heavenly places. And the curtain on chapter 2 opens with man in his helpless state, dead in trespasses and sins. Notice the voice here at the beginning is passive. You, he made alive. He made alive. You didn't make yourself alive. When it says you're dead, that means there's nothing you could do here to help yourself. When you think of someone who is dead, they have no capacity, no ability to do anything. They're dead. But you, he made alive. We just talked about some blessings in chapter one. Is this not a blessing right here? He made you alive. Some of you need a reminder of that this morning. Not only a reminder from the heart, but again, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, and I'm going to keep saying it. The reminder to allow your heart to notify your face that you have been made alive by God. One of the greatest blessings, church. See, God is the active agent involved in drawing men unto himself. He opened your blind eyes. Not only were you dead, you were blind. Couldn't see anything. Blind. Wretched. See, we don't like to use those words, do we? They, 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 they make us feel uncomfortable. Good. You need to feel that way. 
This is who we once were. Apart from Christ. See, he's the one who enabled you to hear the word preached, to receive Christ Jesus as Lord, to believe in his name. I'm using those words intentionally because they're in John 1, 12. Receive and believe. You came to believe and receive as a result, as a result of God making you alive. Please don't think for one moment that in your goodness, in your vast knowledge, that you came to the conclusion that you were going to believe and receive. Remember last week as we studied Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. We concluded with two funerals, didn't we? We spoke of how funerals have a way of of drawing our attention to the brevity of life and focusing our lives perhaps on the things that really do matter for eternity. Here in Ephesians 2, you you read about a time when you were dead. A walking dead person. Isn't that interesting? You were walking around, you were breathing, you had breath in you, but you were dead. You did not have the life of Christ in you. See, the text is describing the time that you once walked according to your former master, sin. You dabbled in it. You enjoyed it. You didn't know anything else. You were content walking in obedience to the prince of the power of the air, content with the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You fell under that category. Before Christ opened your blind eyes. Before God made you alive. You know, I'm grateful for the Lord inserting Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. It should snap us back to reality. It should awaken you to a heart of gratitude for all that he's done for you in Christ Jesus. For without God sending his son to atone for your sins, you'd still be living the life described in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. That's a picture of the life that would be without Christ. Some church people have forgotten who they once were. You've forgotten your former state. You've lost sight of the fact that but for the grace of God, there go I. You see, the church has been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Wonderful privileges have been given. But listen, listen, listen very carefully. Turn to Deuteronomy for just a moment. All of the word is profitable. Deuteronomy. Chapter 6. Remember, remember the words, the familiar words in verses 4 through 9. These words I command you today shall be in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Pick it up at verse 10. So it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land 
of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Why? Lest you forget the Lord. The Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Church, we are running after gods of the peoples all around us today. If we took the time, we go around the seats. And if there was a way that we could see within the hearts of man here this morning and be able to uncover and peel back the layers, be able to see. So this is what you're living for. So this is what you're really interested in. So this is what you think your life is all about. You're spending how much time in this? You're spending how much time looking at these things? Are we not to seek first his kingdom? His righteousness? Are we not to go... We're, not, we're instructed not to be pursuing and seeking the things that Gentiles seek. In that particular context, food and clothing, right? What are we running after? For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of this earth. Keep on reading. Come back to verse 20. Stay there in Deuteronomy. You know, as you read Deuteronomy 6, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that was a long time ago, and, 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 and the people of God, they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River into a land filled with multiple gods, and it's really a different context. And I say, really? Really? While it may be a different context in some way, I believe what happened then is repeating itself in the church today to some degree, at some level. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've eaten from the buffet table of God's spiritual blessings and we're full. Beware, church, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out. You say, I wasn't in Egypt. He didn't bring me out of Egypt. I say, you were in bondage to your sin. You might as well have been in Egypt. Just as God rescued his people out of Egyptian bondage, so too God rescued you from your transgressions and sins. But it seems no longer do we think about these things. It scarcely enters the mind's radar because we're so busy, we're so busy feasting on the blessings. Oh, this is good. 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 and following is instructive as well. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. This is good. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Goes on and says, he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. Do you see it? The Lord rescued his people out of Egypt. And he did so that he might bring them in to the land he had promised them. He didn't just rescue them and go, all done. I'm all finished. No. No, he didn't do that. Praise the Lord, he didn't do that. You think about the rescue as we were on the path that we were taking. He didn't send his son to pay the penalty for our sin just because he thought, it. you know what, I think this would be a great idea. This would be a great idea. There's, there's something on the other end of the rescue that's instructive for the church. Let's learn this. He brought us out of sin's bondage that he might bring us in to a life with Christ. A life in the spirit. A life walking together as the body of Christ. A life whereby we operate in unity, desiring above all things his eternal purposes, Christ's purpose. Not what I want, not what I think's best, but together, desiring what he has already spoken and said is best. You see, Deuteronomy is a very instructive force in this regard. So after listening to the rewind of who we once were, by the way, a snapshot of who you once were, it's extremely helpful in your witnessing efforts to those who are without Christ and without hope. Amen? It's helpful to remember that. To those walking currently, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 and 3. There are hundreds and thousands of people walking in the shoes you used to walk in. They're all around you. Headed for hell. Designated children of wrath. Sons of disobedience. Doesn't matter to you. Or are you just grateful and glad that he saved you. Does it stop there? Does the fact that God made you alive while you were dead in your sins and trespasses help you see, church, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his great love? I hope it does. This love of Christ ought to, as Paul writes in Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, ought to compel you. The love of Christ compels us. 
compels us. Let's read it because it's worth the read. That if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. Why? That those who live should live no longer for themselves. No longer for me. But for him who died for them and rose again. That's how we live. Being in Christ. Being the body of Christ. We live no longer for ourselves. But for Christ. Who gave himself for us. As Ephesians 2 continues, you see a shift from who you once were to the privileged position that you now have in Christ. Privileged, I say, because of what God did. He made us alive together with Christ. And then it says, I love this, in the the parenthesis, it says in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved. (laughs) I find it interesting that the Spirit inserted this parenthetical here. It's really interesting. It's like in case the saints have forgotten how God made them alive together with Christ. Oh, by the way, it has everything to do with grace. By grace, you've been saved. In fact, the Spirit brings this idea back in verses 8 and 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece, his creation, his poem, his writing, his story. That's who we are. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should what? Walk in them. A precursor to what he's talking about in chapters 4, 5, and 6. That we should walk in them. This is important. As parts of the body, the church, we have been created. Notice it says we. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had in store for us way back. (laughs) He prepared these good works for us with a purpose in mind, that we should walk in them. Church, I'm afraid that perhaps we're not walking in these good works that he's prepared for his church. We're doing a lot of walking, but I would ask this morning, what does that walk look like? Where are we walking? Where are our feet taking us? What does our living look like? Are we still doing our own thing? Or is it going to line up with what we're talking about here in Ephesians in his word about 
coming together. Unity, right? We get into talking about unity. What does it mean to be a part of the body? Walking in them. The intention of the Lord for his church to walk in the good works which he's prepared in advance. We need to understand that the great rescue is something that God orchestrated. He didn't need your help. He didn't need my help. He didn't need any counsel of mine. Romans says, where is boasting then? See, his, his rescue is a gracious gift, absent of your works. And yet, works are a part of God's intention for his church, aren't they? This is, this is important for us to understand. It's sort of like, if, how many of you have tried to do a puzzle, work a puzzle? Puzzle, any puzzle fans in here? I've done this. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of puzzles. I, I, I admit, I, I just don't have the patience a lot of times to find the right parts to fit in the right spot. I'm one of those guys that I, I'll find a piece. And by golly, it's going to fit there. I mean, think about it. When you've tried to put a piece into a place it's not supposed to go, it doesn't fit in there very well, does it? I, I struggle with that because I think sometimes as I try to do that, I, I just, let's just get it in here. And, and you know, it'll all come here. Just, 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 let's just put the pieces, put them in there. Let's just squeeze them in there. All right, get, pull out your scissors and, and let's, let's make it fit so we can put it in there. It's a silly illustration, I know. But has the church been trying to fit the puzzle piece of good works where it doesn't fit. It belongs in the puzzle for sure. But not in the place where man wants to put it. See, God, God has, has prepared his church for good works and the parts, all of them, are called to walk in them. All of them. If you consider yourself a part of Hope in Christ Church, There's some good works for you. The Lord has got for you. This is not, this is not a place where only a few selective folks are able to put forth their works, their giftings, as we see in a moment. How are you using those? For Christ, for the edification, the building up of his body. Perhaps you've not been thinking about that much lately. Perhaps it goes right back to Deuteronomy 6. You've eaten and are full. And perhaps you're eating and you're full, not because you're enjoying necessarily God's blessings. Maybe you're eating and you're full of what 1 John chapter 2 talks about. Maybe you're full of the world. And all that the world has to offer. And if that's what you're eating, if that's what you're chewing on, then perhaps you've not thought much about what the word has to say here about being a participant, a member of God's household. Over which Christ is the head. 
Well, when you look at verse 10, and you see these good works, it talks about walking, we should walk in them. I'd like to just fast forward. At the end of chapter 2, we see what it is that has brought us near. It's the, it's the blood of Jesus, verse 13. We see introduced at the end of chapter 2, the cross. The cross, that Christ himself is our peace, that he has made the two one. He's brought together in his body, in his flesh, and he's brought together the two and made one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And I like verse 18, it says, through him we both have access by one spirit, by one spirit to the Father. And so then at the end of chapter 2, there's this summary. Now, therefore, because of all these things I've said, because of these things, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Amen. He's the one that holds in place. He's the one who's the head. If he's the one who holds his church in place, if he's the one who has been placed over all things, to be head over the church, doesn't it then make good sense for us to obey what he has to say? And to stop wandering Meandering, going our way. Beware. Beware. Look at the word here and see what the word has called us to as a part of the body. Remember the, the blessings, all these blessings he's blessed us with in the heavenly places. 21 and 22, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. A holy temple. That's what we're to grow into. The reality is today there aren't too many people interested in walking in holiness. In whom you also are being built together. Built together. Not individually, built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God dwelling in the hearts of those who are His children. Well, chapter 3 then talks about the Gentiles and how the mystery, how they should be, verse 6, fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Not through some other means or method, through the gospel. Paul says, I've been given this grace, verse 8, to me who am less than the least, this grace was given that I should preach. Among the Gentiles, what's he going to preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Go for it, Paul. It's vast. Preach it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all see. What is the fellowship of the mystery? 
Verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. By whom? By the church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To whom? To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Verse 11 tells us that this is according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. We're to make something known according to his eternal purpose. What do you say about that? As a part of the church. As a part of his body. I want to be a part of something that's according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. I love the prayer at the end of chapter 3. Verse 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. See, this God we serve, church, is a big God. He's able to do abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. To him be glory where? In the church. In the church. Not in this building necessarily, strictly alone, reserved for here. No, in the church, in the hearts of his people. By Jesus Christ to all generations. To all generations. What's that mean you and I need to be doing? What's that mean our responsibility is here as part of the church? We need to be passing these very truths along. This is not just for you, for your time. This is for all generations. Forever and ever. And amen. And then you get to chapter four. I told you we were going to end in chapter four. Hang with me. We see another, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul's writing one of his prison epistles. He's beseeching the saints in Ephesus to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. Walk worthy. It reminds me of what Paul writes while he's in prison to the group in Philippi, chapter 1, verse 7. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. How are we to walk? How are we to do this? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, 
So this walk, church, doesn't it seem to have something to do with not just yourself, but it has something to do with, there's a connectedness here. It has something to do with the other parts of the body. Bearing with one another. Endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, the church is called to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then I love these verses that follow. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I don't see any room here, church, for other lords, other faiths, other baptisms, modes, what have you, other gods, other... I don't see it. One. The church needs to be about raising that banner of Christ. Are we raising any other banner? Are we promoting any other thing? And then we see gifts. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. These, these, these were grace gifts, weren't they? And 11 through 16 kind of tells us how these all tie together. Kind of the function, if you will. And, and he gave them. He gave some. He himself, Christ, gave some to be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come, verse 13, to the unity of the faith. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. Mature. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm reminded right here of Luke chapter 6. Thinking about that perfect man. Some of you go, I'm not perfect. Listen to this. Luke, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And I believe the question here needs to be asked. Are you desirous of being perfectly trained by our master? 
We're all to come to this unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son, to a perfect man, to a, a mature man, to an understanding that we should, and it's interesting as Paul's writing this because it leads us to believe there was something happening in the church there at Ephesus, verse 14, that we should no longer be children. The goal, the idea, the objective is that we would all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? For what purpose? What is it that we want to not be doing? Where do we not want to be? We do not want to be, as it says in Ephesians there right afterwards, we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's there's a mouthful of words for you. Characteristic of the evil one himself. Cunning, craftiness, deceitfulness. Those all describe Satan. Trickery of men. Church, we're going to continue to get tripped up and ensnared in the trickery of men. Unless and until we become very familiar with what his word has taught us. Some of you in here today, the only time this word gets opened is when you happen to be here on a Sunday. If, if you want to know the truth, by the way, that truth sets you free, right? If that truth If you want to know that truth, you desire to follow after Christ, you desire to be a disciple of Jesus. By the way, there are not two different kinds of disciples. There is one who is a disciple, a follower, a student, a learner. And there is one who is, as the Bible says, a natural man. Yes, Paul uses the terminology of a carnal man, but it's not held up as another option for how to live. It's a verbal chastisement of sorts to the church in Corinth. This is how you are living. You ought not live this way. This looks a lot like the world. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, he will teach you all things. And remind you of the very words of Christ. He is the spirit of truth in you. And he will be the one who will help you discern the truth of all things. So that you're not like a child tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Oh, this sounds good. It tickles my ears. Sounds like something I want to do. Oh, someone else is doing it. So I'm going to be going over here too. I like this. No, what does the word say? Let's come back to what the word says. Speaking, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Grow up in in all things into him who is the head. All right, we're going back to what we said at the end of chapter one. The head, it's Christ. Verse 16, I love this verse. From whom the whole body joined and knit together. 
by what every joint supplies. See, this body that Christ talks about is to be joined and knit together. Not by elders cracking a whip, saying, need to do this, need to do this. No. It's not what I read. Knit together by what every joint supplies. If you consider yourself a part of Open Christ Church, you have something to give here. And not just to give to someone, some other body. You have something to give unto the Lord. It's His church. And remember, you have privilege to be a part of it. It's a joy. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. Are you doing your share? What's that look like for you? What is the Lord? Have you considered perhaps what the Lord would have you do? Have you considered what share that is as the Lord has maybe given that to you? Have you sought the Lord for what he would have you do? Or are you just kind of floating Sunday to Sunday? Sunday to Sunday. Come in. Open your Bible. Get a word. Take of the Lord's Supper. Sing some songs. And pray. And we go home. And we come back Sunday and we do it all over again. Is this what it's about? I don't see that here. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're just about done. I've just got a few more verses. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. There's that word again. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. See, being a part of the body means now that we we don't do things like we used to do them. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, because of the blindness of their heart. See, the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Do you see the connection between he's making here between your walk and your mind? Look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have... This is, this is the key right here. I, I stopped and I just... I, verse 21 was... I was arrested, if you will, at verse 21. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. Have you heard him? Have you? That's not the only thing it says. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. 
Have you heard him? Have you been taught by him? Through what his word has to say, through what the spirit has to say through this word. Have you been taught by him? Or are you like this verse 14 child being tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, all concerned about what the next big wave is coming in and you're going to jump on board with it. Oh, this sounds so good. But it is not the word of God. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Oh, that's so key. The verse ends that way. As the truth is in Jesus. You see, John 18, 37 says, Jesus, and with Pilate, everyone on the side of truth, what? Hears my voice. John chapter 10 talks about being the great shepherd. The shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep follow his voice. You see, Jesus is the truth. He's the way. He's the life. And it is that way that we are to follow. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians speaks much, speaks often of the church. Over which Christ is the head. Church, the elders, the three of us have been over these last few months. Looking. Praying. About what Christ would have for his church here. And desire nothing more than what God himself desires for his church. And nothing less than what God desires for his church. The three of us in our respective families are but three. The message this week we were in our last meeting we had. We were thinking about and considering having an afternoon teaching on this Sunday. And I, I just threw out, hey, why don't we just postpone Acts for a week and, and let's just preach in Ephesians and, and talk about some of these things the word speaks to. There's so much more. I feel like in so many ways I skimmed the surface. Church, I pray that you would consider how you have learned Christ. And perhaps you learned Christ not in accordance to the truth of this word. Have you heard him? Have you been taught by him? As the truth is in Jesus because you see, if we're going to work together, if we're going to be joined together, if we're going to be knit together, and if every part's going to do it, share. And you know, we've all heard the excuses, haven't we? Well, we live a long ways away from each other. We do. Many of us do. I'm a lot closer to a few of them now. 
In fact, I got I was so close, I was even visit one last night. That's great. Is that going to keep us? Geographical distance. Is that going to keep us from pursuing Christ's purposes for his church? Are there going to be sacrifices needed to be made? Absolutely. Are there sacrifices needed to be made if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. So perhaps this morning we need to write out all those lists of excuses that we've been coming up with and we need to crumple them up and toss them in the fire and decide this day that we're going to walk together in unity as this has called us to do and we're going to, to the best of our ability as the Holy Spirit enables us to do so, we're going to live this kind of life. This is exciting. This is the kind of life that is described, by the way, it gets played out in Acts Chapter 2. Is there anybody here that, that reads Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 and goes, oh, that just, ah, what a boring place. No, no, that's exciting when you look at that picture. I, I long for that kind of picture. I hope you do too. Where the body's together, they're, they're having meals together, they're having favor with one another. Great grace was upon them. And the Lord just keeps on adding to his church. Well, enough spoken this morning. But I do pray that we would consider these truths in the word of Ephesians. We would consider his word as a whole. That we would consider what our role, what our purpose is in Christ's church here at Hope in Christ. And that we would commit ourselves to the Lord and to his purposes the remainder of our days. Let's spend ourselves for his glory and his purposes however long he gives us here to breathe. And then at the end of it all, we will look back and marvel at all the wonderful things that he's done. All the things that he's accomplished. And we can be to the praise of his glory. Because church, after all, that's why we're here. To give him praise. Let's pray. Father, you know my heart this morning, Lord, as I stood here to to speak to your people. My desire to see What could be as we see that laid out in your word. Not only what could be, but what ought to be. Father, I pray that you would help us as elders. Father, that we could be an example to the flock. But I pray, Lord, that the flock would have a desire. That there would be a passion to pursue these very things we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians. That understanding the unsearchable riches, understanding all the blessings that have been given. Lord, that we would then desire collectively as a body to be joint and knitted together for your purposes, for your glory, to carry out your eternal purposes, to be consumed with what you have to say. 
That no longer would it be my desires, my wants, my needs, but Lord, instead it would be, what would you have me do, Lord? In the context of what would you have us do, Lord, as a church? Because you see, as a part of the body of Christ, I am, I am connected. And perhaps this morning, Lord, as we put forth this word, there are some who are disconnected. I pray, Father, that their heart would desire to be connected. I pray that the world might see the unity here in this place. And that in seeing the unity in this place, as Jesus prays in John 17, that all the world would come to know Jesus. They would see something different here. May the life of Christ flow out of this church body. When we gather together, Lord, I pray that life would spill forth. I pray for those streams of living water, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, flowing out of us. That it would be evident that the Spirit of Christ is at work. That the Spirit of Christ is moving in our midst. And as he moves, I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to go. That we would be willing to follow where he leads. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, which is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for every blessing that you've given to us in Jesus. May we not only be grateful, but may we desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we receive. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.